my name is Athena Cabrenu. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer, and podcaster, and a parent, which is lovely. But you know what toddlers are like. They like to scream and not really engage in astute political debate. So what I do every now and again is ask a friend to come round and keep my company. I can't do that at the moment, because if you ask a friend to come round, that makes you um, a criminal, because it's against the law to, to leave the house now. So what I've done is I've hooked somebody up with a online recording thing uh, who was a friend of mine, and we're going to keep each other's virtual company. So unfortunately, there's no plantain, there's no, no hospitality, no coffee, no, um, you don't get to see my conservatory, Shahira. So I'm very sorry, we'll have to do this again in person. Okay, it's <laughs> all good. But welcome to my virtual podcast, Shahira Jordan. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. I've been wanting you to be on this podcast for since forever. Um, okay. Because you are like a polymath. Um, which is cool because I know a few polymaths actually, and I'm I'm always um, like it's pretty cool. Like when I met you, you were. Can I talk about what you like? You can I do Go that? Go for it. Because when I met you, you was like um, I don't even know what the term is. Like a body competitor. Yeah, I was a bodybuilder. Yeah, um, which is like um, boy, I don't even know. I think I might even send out. I don't have the pictures of you. <laughs> but I might okay. use them on the Instagram to promote. But that was even pretty impressive. You were as a professional, as professional as you can be, volleyball player at the time too. Yeah. Um. So that was pretty cool. Um. And fast forward a few years, now you're about to. Uh, well, you're on the on the, a path towards a PhD. Yeah. Yeah. And in between all of that, you you squeezed out three children. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> three children. And so I don't know really, this is just, this isn't going to be a chat, this is just going to be, I want you to tell me where you find the time to squeeze so much activity into your life, um, and why, why don't you just chill out man, stop making us look See, bad. I'm glad you said that, because I actually think it's a personality quirk, um, and I've been like, thinking about this quite a bit, so since it's a chat, I'll share with you that um, uh, on this PhD journey, we have to do this thing um, where you fill out a form every term to say what courses you've been on or what training you've done where you've developed and I had my third son last term so when the form came out obviously I was a bit like well I can't say had a kid so I just put <laughs> like yes no yes no answers to everything and the head of the graduate school was not impressed basically was like you're a third year candidate you should fill this out more completely and I was a bit like, mate, had a kid, went to three conferences while pregnant, <laughs> wrote a paper, <laughs> like, back off a little bit, you know. And what was interesting was that he felt that I should have just taken maternity leave. But I couldn't think of anything worse than, this is going to sound really horrible, kind of just pausing everything <laughs> and staring at a baby who can't speak, um, who can't let me bounce ideas off him. Like, it just kind of felt like, no, I have to stay busy if I'm going to stay healthy, if that makes sense. And do, do you think that being busy for you has to be like an, an academic endeavour? Because some people might say, I would say looking after a baby would keep you busy, you know? And it does. But what I remember is with my first child... I remember feeling like there was no, how do I say it? There was no way of kind of like knowing that I'd done it right. Yeah. And so you're going through all the paces, you're making these purees, you're <laughs> doing all this stuff, and there's literally nothing to tell you that like, well done. Well, apart from the MUNS groups on Facebook, but I feel like in order to be in those groups, you have to say, you're doing great, mama. So it's like... It's like when your mom tells you you're pretty and you're like, you have to say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the, the mom's groups weren't doing it for me. And it was just like, okay, motherhood is, the hugs are great. The, you know, whatever you want to call it, the love part's lovely. But I don't feel like I'm developing at all. I don't feel like I'm doing anything right. I feel like I'm just doing. And so I just found by having little projects, there was like a sense of completion. Like, okay. Yep, I wrote a paper, it's finished, it's published, it's off, okay, I've done this. And it just kind of makes up for that abyss of parenthood. I sound like a terrible person. No, you don't. <laughs> I, I'll tell you something funny. So when I had my little one, um, 
<laughs> people would, you know, especially because the situation I was in was a little bit different because I was living with my mum and sort of um, on my own at, on the, at that point. People were just like, oh, how are you getting on? How are you getting on? And I was like, fine. <laughs> I really didn't find it. So I, I kind of was really fortunate to have kept my hand in in stand-up and writing and doing the occasional bit of bit of podcasting work and a bit of radio yeah. work. Um, and thank God I did. If you're lucky enough, it, you can sort of get on with it. Mm. Um, and you do, it does leave a lot of space for you to be doing something else. Because you know what? Babies, they, if you're lucky enough to have a baby that does, they, they sleep. You can, mm-hmm. you can put them, when they're on the ground, they just lie there. They don't yeah. do anything. <laughs> so you can just, you can get on with what you need to get on with. And they just, they're not capable of doing anything. They can't even lift their heads up. Right. So it, in many ways, we were kind of the same and different. But I didn't go out looking for the, for it. I was on the enforced maternity leave anyway as a contractor. Um, right. And as a stand-up, maternity leave is a myth. Like, it just doesn't exist. Um, right. So it's kind of similar, but same. But the difference is, I think you you have that mentality: babies or no babies. Um, which is, do do you feel that you have like it's almost like ADHD? Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it is like not being able to to sit still. Do you feel conscious of it, or do you just think this is like this is just your normal? So I'm conscious of it from the perspective of like comparisons. Mm. So I always get nerve. Like I met this woman once at a kid's birthday party. And her mom puts a lot of pressure on her uh, to get a master's and get a this and get a that, whatever. And then we found out that her mom lives on my street. And she's like, you can't meet her. She can't know that you've got three kids and you're doing a PhD because I'll never hear the end of it. So, <laughs> so I do feel conscious of it from that perspective because, you know, what? it's a bit like the lady who had three kids, had a six pack abs and then did that like social media posts like I've got three kids what's your excuse it's kind of like that but I feel like I'm not running around going I'm doing a PhD what's your excuse I feel like people are looking at me like oh my gosh she's doing a PhD I should be doing more and that's not the case at all no I I think that's people projecting onto themselves like I can tell you right now as much as I admire you I'm not doing a PhD I'll tell you that right so I think I think people (laughs) like to project their insecurities and I think parenting I think what I found was I didn't really get on with a lot of parenting groups or I didn't really mm. engage with a lot of them online and in person. And I realised that people made a real effort to put the role of parent front and centre in their lives, which obviously yeah. it, it's automatically a life-changing thing that becomes your priority in, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in many ways. But it, it, that just that's, that didn't cast a shadow over the rest of my life. It was just an no. addition. Does that make sense? And I struggled. Of course it is. Yeah, and I, and I always say this all the time, like when I went to these groups, and what I wanted and expected was to have a conversation uh. about just just the stuff that I would normally talk to my friends about. And they, But the reality of these places is is either competitive kind of comparing babies, yep. which is ridiculous. I mean, people comparing the, a six months old's ability to another six months old. It's like, oh, get get to get in the sea. <laughs> they they literally, you know, they if one six month old can roll over onto their stomach and one can't, I can guarantee yeah. you that is not an indication of future life performance. <laughs> Agreed. And I feel the same way about seven-year-olds, for the record, but, you know. No, it's, it's, it's really true. Like, in pri- you, know, up, you know, up until even secondary school, like, you, you know, there's a lot of people who didn't do so well when they were mm-hmm. older teenagers who were doing way better than the people who did, like, got, like, straight A's. So, you know, there's, yeah. there, you, you have to get a bit of perspective. So I, I struggled a little bit with that. I struggled a bit because a lot of the parents were just, like, a bit... Um, even though my mum lives on a kind of this estate, but the area is a bit posh, so... Mm. And it was only posh people that went to these classes. Um, so they were a little bit judgmental, you know, yeah. you can kind of, I sensed a little bit. Of, it wasn't bad or anything, but I just kind of felt like, oh, they're all going out to meet afterwards to have their lattes and they're not inviting yeah. me because they think maybe I don't drink lattes and I don't, but I like milk. So, you know, jokes <laughs> on them. Um, <laughs> The other thing about you is you're super random. Like, <laughs> you're like, um, and um, your PhD is on uh, electric vehicle use. Yeah. So it was, and it's funny because the whole way that I came about it was really quite linked to my daughter um, in that there was a study that, so much she's got allergies. Oh, okay. And there was a study in Canada 
that found that, um, oh, let me get this right. Oh, babies who were born in poor air quality areas are more likely to have a food allergy. Um, now, it didn't sort of confirm causation, just correlation. Right. So when I read that, I was a bit like, great. So for the first year of her life, I used to stick her in the buggy, walk from my town to the next town for exercise on the main road, and just had her surrounded in all the dirty air, you know. Um, and so, but it made me think, you know, if, if poor air quality is connected to this and we're seeing more and more children develop allergies, could we kind of stem the growth of that by doing things to clean the air? And I think vehicles proved to be a really interesting space because for at least Gen Xers and baby boomers, it's like your rite of passage. You know, I own a car, especially in London, I have to say. So in America, you have to have a car because that's just how you get around unless you're in the big cities. But in London, you know, a car is kind of like a luxury, but it's also symbolic that you're really grown. So, (laughs) you know, it's like, so those of us who've now proved that we're really grown and don't want to give up this kind of example of how grown we are, we're kind of just polluting the air, you know. Why is it so hard to move from one type of engine to another? So I started looking into some of the barriers and motivators to electric vehicle adoption in London. Um, yeah, that's that's just how it came about. Well, it's funny because I've talked about this briefly in, in another another episode of my, of my podcast because my, my other half has a, an electric car and watching him faff about with it makes me think, Nah, I think I'll wait. It's just, it's just, I mean, it's actually, it's actually a hybrid. So at least, I say, so I could give you an example. Today, he, he has a parking space where he works. So he can charge mm-hmm. his car at home, drive to work, charge it and drive home, right? Simple. Right. Today, drive to work, some motherfuckers in his, in his, in his parking space. <laughs> so he can't charge his car. And there's no charge points. And I just thought, if he didn't have petrol in his car, He's got yeah. stuck there. <laughs> so, and basically, every every electric cars or a fast story I have is, oh, there's no charging point where where it's needed. Basically, that's the moral of all the all the stories that I have. We do something, and it ends up with us saying, "Thank goodness that it's a hybrid. Otherwise, we'd be yeah. we'd be stuck." And I think that's a real shame because it and I, you know that's the thing that we have to battle, I guess, with electric car usage because you fill up your car with petrol, you just you go from petrol station to petrol station and that's yeah. fine. But And that's how we want to drive. We just want to fill up and go at our right. convenience. Yeah, I mean, I will say that since this study, I've actually flipped back and forth a number of times on whether or not we're going to invest in one. Um, and I dare say that the current COVID-19 situation it's kind of made me flip again, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but it's tough because someone asked me about this the other day, and I was saying, you know, this is about Westerners always doing too much. <laughs> End of. Yeah. The air quality, the all of that. If everyone just learned to kind of like rein it in a little bit, drive when you need to, don't take the Mickey, things wouldn't be as bad as they are. And even if we all move to electric vehicles everyone's going to be jamming the charging points overcharging when they don't need to overcharge it's just western behavior so unfortunately the problem with trying to find a solution is that we need to get to the crux of our behaviors first before bringing in interventions because we're just selfish as hell i would even go one step further and say it's not just western behaviors it's urbanized behavior because you see this in pretty much any industrialized city or country. And you're absolutely right. We're always looking for solutions that mean we don't have to change our lifestyles whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. actually, you're going to have to change your lifestyles, mate. You're going to have to stop um, driving your kids to school. Um, yeah. But what's really cool now is that with this, um, obviously what's happening now is awful, 
but it's showing that all of the behaviours we were resisting before um, mm. are actually behaviours we should have thought. For example, working from home. There's a lot of companies out there that would not let their staff work from home. Right. For whatever, in fact, companies that I would often refuse to work for because I would never take a job if they wouldn't let me work from home because I needed to work from home so I could skive off and do comedy, right? So I can say that now. But <laughs> right. I, I made out like it was a big moral point I was making about work-life culture. Really, it was because I needed to leave to drive to gigs. Um, and the point was that a lot of people people wouldn't let me, wouldn't um, approve of working from home, which is a massive impact on, which has a massive impact on the environment because people drive to work. For example. Yes. Like outside of London, I don't think people realise car usage and how, like most in London, if you have a car, you might use it on the weekends. Right. You know, outside of London, people drive every day. I used to work in yep. Bedford and people would drive to work every day. That was how they got there. So changing cultures and habits is really important. And all these people now who are told they can't work from home are now realising, oh, wait, hold on. Like, we can work from home. And it saves uh, travel. It saves... And even if you are taking a tube, like, the tubes are empty now because people are at home. So how much money are we spending on Crossrail? We could have just got everyone to work from home. Exactly. But it's like, so the reason why I, I harp on about western selfishness and it's funny because it ties in very much with this situation and i've been wanting to rant about it for a while is because you know there's this guy named hofstetter who who kind of looked at societies and measured them against different attributes and one of those is um individualism versus collectivism and the uk has like the third highest score for individualism after the us and australia surprise surprise (laughs) Now, the reason why I'm pointing this out is because if we take that into account, we look at grocery shopping in the last couple of weeks, and my personal bugbear isn't the panic buying, it's the labeling of shoppers as selfish Mm. when they're trying to buy food. And I like every time I heard that term, I was getting so frustrated because I'm like, every retailer in the UK has known that we're in an individual society individualistic sorry you've known we're selfish you use all the behavior change tactics when we're buying online you tell me that there's three thousand other people looking at an item that i'm looking at to push me to buy the item you're constantly throwing deals and promotions into my inbox like you play on our individualism you do it all the time and now that i need food and i'm trying to get in to a shop to get food you want to call me selfish doesn't work two ways. No, it's one or the other. Yeah, they create the monster. Exactly. And that's what had me mad is like, because then when they start doing the whole, you know, don't panic, don't be selfish, then like other lay people start calling each other selfish. I'm like, can we all just calm down for a minute? It's the bottom of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's food. If people were ready to like throw fists over a PlayStation on Black Friday, which... Can I remind y'all, we don't even have Thanksgiving in the UK. Right. If we're willing to fight over that nonsense, you don't think I'm going to throw a punch for some broccoli? Okay. (laughs) So I'm like, you don't get to call me selfish right now. (laughs) These supermarkets were tap dancing when they saw us panic buying. They could have put a restriction on what we could buy from the beginning. Thank they you. could have stopped their buy one, get one freeze. They could have um, they could have put in every measure they're putting in now to start the panic. But they, when they saw things flying off their shelves, they yeah. were like, bring it. And I know for a fact that they would send pictures of empty shelves to the media to look, to show empty shelves to the public so there would be more panic buying. Thank I just you. feel like that's so clearly what they was doing or encouraging. Yeah. Um, and it was a real shame. I am... Um, I think you're being a bit too kind to people. I think some people were being assholes. Um, oh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> they were. But if you take into account, like, first we had the normal set of people at home, and then we had slowly a shift from office work it to home working. Mm-hmm. And as that shift grows bigger, there's more people able to get into a shop during the day. Like, it's just natural that the shops would get more full. Obviously, we've got situations happening in other countries, and we're kind of going, oh my gosh, is that going to happen to us next? So yeah, of course there were some idiots, but then it just hit a point where we all tapped into our feral nature, and we were like, yo, if all I can do is eat pasta for the next three weeks, so be it. I want in.
Are you an environmentalist? Ooh. Hmm. I'm, you know what, I'm going to say no. Why no? Well, I love that you asked the tough questions. <laughs> because right now I'm still stuck on attitude and not behavior. Mm. So I think that my attitude is definitely in the right place of we need to be doing better. But my behaviors are still what I'd call, like, you know how you always say that cycling is like, what's the word you use for it? You always say like it's low level um, calorie expenditure or something like that. Low level calories, but like what? How do you mean? You and, you and I talk about cycling. You used to be like, you just jump on the bike and pedal. Yeah. Like it's not, yeah. Oh, super, well, it's efficient. So there, was, there wasn't a more energy efficient way to move than cycling. It takes right. like... If you if you can I can't say this scientifically, but if you can take like fuel, body energy and all this stuff, if you if you find a way to measure it in, in even terms and you compare cycling to moving from A to B with any other form of motion, it is the most efficient way to move. This is a scientific right. fact. You have to Google it. So, I, can't, I can't cite my sources there. <laughs> I'd say the behaviours that I currently do that are environmentally focused are like cycling. Recycling is easy now that we've got bins with different colours. Um, walking more is easy because my child's school is at the top of the street. So all the things that I could potentially hold up and say, oh, look at me, I do this, I do it because it's all relatively easy stuff to do. I think the harder decisions about, oh, ooh, I actually just ordered um, some new deodorant. <laughs> is it environmentally friendly deodorant? <laughs> It is in that like it has a case and you put the new deodorant cartridge into the case every time the old one runs out. Perfect. Yeah. But but those are all again, all I have to do is click online and pay for it and it's being sent to me. It's not like I'm taking empty jars to a grocery store and filling up, you know, my pasta in those jars. Um, it's not like I'm growing my own vegetables. But I do feel very strongly that a lot of us need to start making some micro changes in our behavior. Um, even things like water, like I've been saying for ages, I'm going to buy a new filter. Have I bought one yet? No. Um, so it's just stuff like that that I know I need to just do. How is a filter going to make things better? Well, so I like drinking water, which is very American of me. I'm sorry, but I like, oh, like, I like bottled water. Yeah. Oh, so like, right. Okay. Yeah. So I, what I've been doing to try and um, her buying the big five liter bottles of water is, you know, those, um, oh, they're like tea bags for your water, for your sports bottle. I think so. Yeah. I yeah. So I've been using those in like a big pitcher because I just don't like the taste of tap water. So yeah, I'm like, I just need to get a filter. Well, I've got a theory anyway. I think that black and brown people generally find it hard to engage with environmentalism and sustainability because a lot of the messages we get are things we do anyway okay. so i i've actually i am actually an environmentalist and i probably in way before you met me there were things i was doing and involved in um i was basically the original greta thunberg but okay the optics weren't right for me to go viral um like like she did well i mean i'm exaggerating obviously i've got this thing about technology man i wanted to start a hashtag a hashtag no new tech for 2020 because mm. people buy too much technology and it has a massive environment, environmental impact Huge. and it's disposable all of it is disposable and all of it is toxic so it doesn't have a long life um, it's toxic when you dispose of it and when you dispose mm. of it you replace it so it's like yeah. this really toxic circle of consumption and it, it also contributes to all kinds of other social ills such as like um, war and conflict because of the materials right. um, which come from very specific places mm. um, so they specific don't places. get me started well exactly <laughs> and it's amazing how many people will be really vocal about the world and the kind of state uh -huh. it's in, but they'll have AirPods in their ears and Fitbits yeah. um, and Garmin's and wearable tech and iWatches, and you don't need any of it. None of this improves our quality of life at all. Some of it does, yeah. but most of it actually doesn't. And we know it doesn't because it all ends up in our drawers. Um you know, for, and then we come across these things in the few, in the years to come and we're like, oh, look, at we, we're interested. So I watched this thing called No New Tech 2020. That didn't take off. 
because nobody cares what I think at this at this moment in time. Well, it's it's true. Sadly, what would have to happen is someone would have to make a documentary about whales. They'll cut a whale open. They'll see an iPad in it. Then they'll be like, "Oh my god, we've got to stop buying iPads." Then they'll that would make a difference. Though. That would make a difference. So that's what really annoyed me about. No, this. it won't. The, it's legislation is what makes a difference. Those things, you feel bad for the half an hour that you're watching it, but until the government says, right, no new tech, you still go out and buy it. It's, you're right there, you're right. I'm referring specifically to the, the obsession people had with straws. Because it was just bizarre. Oh, I, did, I, I was in Edinburgh two years ago, and that you couldn't find a straw. You know, you could find a plastic cup. Millions of things, um, millions everywhere. Oh, we can't give because a lot of it. If you've ever been to Edinburgh Festival, you know a lot of it is outdoors. The bars are too small, right? So you take your drink and you go outside. So the streets of Edinburgh are lined with people with these plastic cups going on and ditch the straws. It's like, well, oh this gosh. is still like an issue. Or the straws are replaced with metal straws, which have to be made. Do you know how much energy yeah. it takes to manufacture something out of yeah. metal? Do you know how much energy it takes to then wash that thing? Because you've got to reuse it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people are very naive and it goes to people not wanting to change their habits. If they can this do something if they can do something that makes it look like they've changed, but really they haven't really got to the core of the issue, which is just drink out of a normal cup. Maybe. Yeah. So I don't think I don't have a problem. I don't have beef with straws, is what I'm saying. I don't have beef with them at all. I don't think not using straws has made this world an, a better place for animals or or humans. Right. But then this is why when you asked if I was an environmentalist, I said no, is because I do feel that if you're going to label yourself something, there has to be like a testable level of authenticity in what you're doing, and it's no good for me to just kind of say, well, you know, I am because I care. What I'm doing has to actually be something I do in every aspect of my life, or at least have a justification, a genuine justification for why I don't do it. And so this is my challenge with EVs was that like, okay, can we talk about the mines in Congo? And I'd been to like conferences where people would ask the question um, about, you know, these I think one guy called them red cars, red with the blood of people from Africa. It was really quite a thing, yeah. And everybody was so on edge about the way he was talking, but it was like it's something that has to be discussed. But also, we can't just point it all on EVs because, like you said, it's all the other stuff that we've been using. Like, when are we going to talk about the fact that we're benefiting, quote, unquote, um, at the expense of, like, human life? That's scary. Massively at the expense of human life because at the mo- at the reality is is that all of this stuff that's coming out of these countries, the products aren't being made in these countries and they're mm-hmm. not even being sold back to these countries mostly. No. They can't, you know, the people who mine this stuff could never afford to buy this stuff. No. Um, and that's why I wanted to do a whole, a whole no new tech. But also I wanted us to interrogate how we allow advertising to in, infect our lives and how we use tech as status symbols almost um, and we do it mindlessly but I, I just I, I'd like people to be a little less contradictory with their with their behavior because I talk about me too right and if you mm. want to talk about sexual violence and you're not talking about the Congo just go away I'm not interested yeah. I will not have a conversation with you about sexual violence if you're not going to talk about the Congo you don't care about sexual violence if you just think okay. it's about some eight uh, and Guarantee, I'm telling you right now, an alien celebrity. I don't want that person to be abused. I don't. There's another. There's another thing happening in a remote part of a country that's basically the same size as Western Europe that you're never going to go to. There's it, one issue I think is far more pressing than the other. If we're saying all lives matter, and these people, yes. you know, if we're saying Black Lives Matter, if we're saying all lives matter, then you can't talk to me about me too if you're not talking about the Congo and it's linked. You know, if you can't talk to me about sustainability, if you're going to have, if you're going to be dripping in in uh, Apple technology or any kind of technology, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I th- I would say I call myself an environmentalist because even though not everything like, I've taken like a flight this year, for example, um, I took like two or three flights last year, um, but I do think you know there's an edge. <laughs> you know I don't eat meat. I do care. I live my life quite sustainably. I don't shop a lot. I'm quite a frugal person because I don't like shopping anyway. Um, I like secondhand stuff. Yeah. And I, I try and be as vocal as I can be. Because I love a container. I don't throw containers away. I've, I tell you what, the amount of container... I'll, I'll fish a container out of the bin, you know. I'll sterilise it. But if, it's, if, it's got, if, the, if the lid fits nice on it, I'll, so I like it, I like a good container. Um, yeah. So I think I do all right. Um, do you have a favourite container? 
Oh, I'm going to sound like capitalist. But the Pyrex dishes with the snap-on lids. Oh, they're good. Yeah, I don't have one of them. Yeah, they're really good because they're just... Well, Pyrex is great anyway because it's so... Pyrex doesn't die. Like, it just you have it forever. And mine is um, basically, it's like a waterproof bit of Tupperware. I've had it for years. I take my lunch to work in it. um, Or I used to take my lunch to work in it. Uh, Those are the days. I think I might eat my lunch out of it tomorrow just to be like and and because it's waterproof what I'll do is I'll put my lunch in it and I'll put it in a bag and I'll shake it around just to get the satisfaction of opening it and have it not leaked everywhere but that's my favourite container it's my little my little um, it's a little soup container but it's because it's big enough I could have I could have my lunch I'll tell you what's nice with the Pyrex dishes is you can do like individual sized mac and cheese or what was oh. it? You had mac and breadcrumbs. Oh right, you've got the um, mini ones. Yeah, that's what I have. Oh, so yeah. those ones. That way, you're not like you're definitely not overeating because if you just kind of prep it the night before, pop it in the oven at lunchtime because we're all at home at the moment. It's just like a ready, nice made portion sized for yourself. I mean, I've been known to go to the supermarket and when I'm deciding which product to get, I'll get the one that comes in the most reusable container. Like that's smart because <laughs> I just yeah, have a container. Smart. I got that from my mum. What I'm going to do is say to you, I'm not going to take up any more of your time because you have enough on your plate um, with your academic studies. And are you still working during the day as well? Isn't day job work? Uh, no, because Baba's still, oh, you know, six months next week. Oh, right. So, you- so I'm going to wait until, because like you, I contract. So I'm going to wait until I see what life is looking at, like in a few months, sorry. And, um, who knows what the market will look like by then but if there's scope if my write-up is nearly finished then I might put feelers out and if not I will just because I don't think the kids are going to go back to school until September I could be wrong but um yeah I have a feeling I'm going to be doing this homeschooling thing for a while so all right well I might start doing some black history online lessons but I don't know I don't know if kids are ready for that you'd be surprised like I said the Christopher Columbus thing was really eye-opening for her because she'd gone to school and it was all Christopher Columbus this Christopher Columbus that he's a great explorer and then by the time she got home and me and her dad talked to her about it she was like oh he wasn't really a nice guy so just the concept just the concept of people who are African and Caribbean descended being taught about being quote unquote discovered by white people that sets yeah. a seed of inferiority into your brain that's got to be kicked right out to touch ASAP no teacher is going to look at my child and say we discovered you it's not happening yeah. not on my no. watch I, well, I, like I said I dare a school to try it I dare I can't wait to march into that school and go what are you playing at in, at your big age you want to talk to my child and tell her that she didn't exist until some white guy saw her no stop it Stop I mean, it. in fairness to the school, bless him, by the time we politely gave <laughs> her teacher um, part two of the history lesson, or I should say part one to his part two even, um, he literally was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> and so we found out that he'd had a chat with some of their teachers and now they're looking at um, how they can meaningfully review history. And club um, just I'll end, I'll end on this note. This is an absolute stone cold fact. Columbus got lost all the time. All the time. He just spent his whole career. He discovered things thinking they were somewhere else. Then he would go back to where he was from and then said, actually, no, that was India. Well, actually, no, that was North America. He's, he spent his whole time getting lost. He discovered everything by accident. Okay, the man is a fraud. Um, yeah, absolutely. To say the least. An, an absolute, an absolute fraud. Okay, we better end before this is a two-hour podcast of me <laughs> writing all of the wrongs of the British curriculum. Um, this has been really great. It's great. I don't often we do catch up every now and again, but this has definitely been a, low, a long overdue chat. For sure, yeah, and we do need to do it um, more often. So I'll try and reach out a bit more. I mean, we've got a bit of time now, haven't we? So look, when this is all over, I'm telling you, we're gonna go so quickly into seeing each other like in person again after about a week we're going to go back into lockdown we'll be sick of it we'll be like oh yeah I think I preferred it when I was in the house actually but yeah I actually think people are going to be a little bit like are you sure it's safe to be closer than 
two meters to other people. <laughs> we're gonna keep we're gonna long it out for the next ten years. Like oh, yeah, like, in twenty in twenty thirty, I might come back again. You know, so you can't come. Um, can't come around. I don't know. I was like, carnival is gonna be like a. I'm not sure if it'll be a close up, close up thing as usual. Oh, there'll be no whining. There'll be no measuring stick whining. It'll be, yeah. But finally, we'll get what we want. Like guys, just leaving us the hell alone. And yes. ladies, be careful what you wish for because we'll miss it when it's gone. All right, I miss That's it already. True. Um, <laughs> this has been this has been great. It's been lovely to catch up. Um, yeah. All the best with your homeschooling. Um, I'm pretty sure your kids are going to come out of this with, if not PhDs. Um, BAs and or one might get an MA. Do you know what I mean? I think they're going to be ready for a bit of tertiary education by the time you're done. One can only hope. One can only hope. Um, thank you for virtually keeping my company. Yeah, look, thanks for virtually having me around for Plan Ten. <laughs> my my pleasure. I'll send, I'm sending some to you now. Isn't it delicious? Awesome. It's amazing. And thanks for the extra kick of chili there. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> So that was my friend Shahira Jordan, communications professional, ex-pro volleyball player, ex-bodybuilder, nutritionist. We didn't cover that, but she's into nutrition as well and now soon to be fully-fledged academic. She's got a lot on her plate, so I very much appreciate her finding the time to chat to me and keep my company. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can do what you normally do with podcasts that you like. You can share it, you can subscribe, you can put a comment somewhere, uh, you can like it, I think. I think you can like it, whatever podcast platform you do. There must be a like button somewhere. Come say hello. I use social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, I mean, this has been the podcast. There's loads more in the archives. If you want to catch up, stay safe, keep washing your hands, and we'll catch up next time. <laughs>